Welcome to the Down Syndrome Victoria podcast. This is a podcast where we explore the latest topics of interest and bring you interviews with inspiring and knowledgeable members of our community. My name is Ro O'Dwyer and I'm one of the education managers at Down Syndrome Victoria, supporting students with Down Syndrome in Victorian schools. I'm here today with my colleague, Kath Mansell. Hi, Kath. Hi, my name is Kath Mansell and I'm on the advisory network for Down Syndrome Victoria. It's my pleasure to be here with you today for this podcast. Today we're speaking with Lisa McKay-Brown and Catherine Smith from the team at the University of Melbourne Faculty of Education. Lisa, Catherine and their team have recently published the research paper Addressing the Divide, Authentic Inclusion in Education for People with Down Syndrome, which we're going to discuss today. Hello, Lisa and Catherine. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for having us, Ro and Kath. We're really excited to be here to chat to you about the work that we're doing. My name is Lisa McKay-Brown, and I'm an Associate Professor in Learning Intervention at the Faculty of Education at the University of Melbourne. My work is really focused on working with young people with disability and particularly uh, skilling teachers up to work with young people with disability in inclusive settings. I have a real interest in school attendance and engagement and how we can make schools, uh, I guess, a more engaging and welcoming place for all young people, but particularly those with disability. And hi, I'm Dr. Catherine Smith. I am a senior lecturer in the Centre for Wellbeing Science at the Faculty of Education. And my work focuses on teachers and teacher learning and students and student learning with the outcomes of well-being and inclusion in mind. I'm particularly interested in the way that people care for each other in their relationships in the classroom. Um, and I have a strong interest in the agency people have in asking each other about their needs within those learning relationships and how those work to make things fair and more equitable in all education settings. Thank you both. So can we uh, start off by getting some clarification for our listeners about the purpose of this study and the relationship between Down Syndrome Victoria and Melbourne University Disability Research? Sure. So we were very excited back in, gosh, must have been 2022, to be contacted by the Melbourne Disability Institute, which is uh, an organisation within the university they have received grant requests from different organisations and we were matched with Down Syndrome Victoria because of our interest in inclusive education um, in the work that we, we do in our team. So the purpose of the study was really for us to explore based on Down Syndrome's research questions, Down Syndrome Victoria's research questions, um, to get a better understanding of the decision-making processes that parents and caregivers um, who have a child with Down Syndrome make when they're looking at secondary schooling. I think what Down Syndrome Victoria talked to us about was that uh, parents often have an inclusive experience in the primary school setting, but making decisions about secondary school um, can be a little bit tricky. There are a lot of factors, of course, that have to be considered in that transition process. 
Um, so we were really excited to be able to partner with Down Syndrome Victoria. And I think what was really exciting about what we were able to do was the co-design, which is such an important part of the work that, that we like to do. So we worked very closely with um, Ro, Dan, um, also uh, adults with the from the advisory network um, in order to shape this study, in order to look at who we were going to speak to um, and to really think about um, what the important information that we were trying to find out would be. So our, our relationship, I think, uh, has grown over that period of time. And we're really excited with the outcomes of the study. And we are particularly, well, we have a lot of gratitude for Down Syndrome Victoria in particular for working with us and connecting us with young people and adults with lived experience who really were able to contribute to this work as well. So that's kind of, I guess, the purpose of the study, how our relationship came together and um, the outcome is this report that you'll all be able to access. Excellent. Thank you. Who did you interview? So, Kath, we interviewed parents of young people with Down syndrome. We also were very fortunate to be able to interview students as well, so students in both primary and secondary school. And we also were able to talk to the young adults from Down Syndrome Victoria um, social groups who also gave us a really great experience um, of their secondary school, the time they were in secondary school. So we were able to get um, information from people in primary school, parents and young people who are experiencing primary school now, parents and young people experiencing secondary school, but also having an opportunity to talk with adults about their secondary school experience and what they really liked about it but also what they wish they've been able to have with that. So I think we uh, ended up talking with 10 families and also for young adults. What were some of the interesting findings that come out of those interviews? We found a lot of things that we expected to find, Kath. We found that people had really positive experiences for the most part in their primary school lives and that their inclusion and friendships were good, um, and that their teaching assistants were important in their, in their learning at schools, um, that they had particular places in their primary schools where they liked to find their friends and play and socialize, and that they were quite happy there. We did find that some of the parents um, as well as the young people, felt like even though they were included in those communities, they had a little bit of trouble in the upper years being accepted in the same way. And we found, like we often find in research like this, that even though everybody was friendly in the classroom, when it came to things like birthday parties and other activities, Many young people didn't get invited, and that was hard for the children and also for their families. Um, and so we could see that even though we have lots of ways that we are working to include people, people didn't always feel as included as they'd like to in their social communities. When it came to secondary school, 
we found that it was really um, challenging for people to choose the school that they wanted. And there were lots of barriers that stood in the way for people. Sometimes they had to do with um, testing and outcomes and the, the need to kind of be able to prove that you had particular needs or that you were at a different level. And that determined without people's really having an opportunity to choose what school they should go to. Um, and that was really challenging for people. And parents in particular found that they had to do a lot of advocacy to help them make the access to the schools that they wanted and their children wanted to go to. And that meant that in a lot of cases, people didn't necessarily get to go to high school with the people that they went to primary school with. And even though most people identified in talking to us that they initially really wanted their children to continue in mainstream schools, they didn't feel like that choice was necessarily accessible to them when they finally started to go to school. So they often ended up in special or specialist schools. And with the parents who were talking about making that choice now, the people who currently had kids in primary school, they started to think that it was getting hard. They could see that they were going to have to work and advocate to get what they wanted. When we talked to the focus group though, they were really insistent that it was important to keep working at that, that the opportunities to go to a mainstream school for them really meant a lot. And even though sometimes the learning was tricky, their social opportunities were really important. However, they did also say that like in primary school, they had lots of friends in the school but most of their friendships, their close friendships, were people who also had a disability or Down syndrome. And that they found it frustrating that they didn't get to go on dates and go to some of the parties that a lot of their friends were going to. So there was still work for us to do to make that better. And they really wanted us to let teachers know and school leaders know that it was important that we start to consider how we help people make those friendships and cross over those divides that keep people apart and don't make for a really socially inclusive experience in schools. It's a lot of really good information in, um, in what you've said there, Catherine, and a lot of work, you know, for schools. Um, you know, we know a bit about that too when I go out to schools and hear that um, from the teachers and from some of the parents, but it's, it's really interesting to hear that um, has come through quite strongly from the students and parents as well. So there's a lot of work for schools to do in the future. Uh, did you have any surprises, find any surprises in, um, in your research findings? I think one for me, and, and, and maybe not so much of a surprise, but still a surprise, was the way that parents were telling us how their local schools were still inaccessible for them. So the gatekeeping that's still happening. And I guess I guess for somebody who's been working in the, as a teacher for a really long time and now in the university, and we know that we've had um, protection under the Disability Discrimination Act and the Disability Standards for Education for a really long time, 
to have uh, parents telling us that they had to go to four schools or they had to go to seven schools before they could find a school that would take their child for me was concerning but also surprising because I had hoped that we were seeing some shifts. We will be seeing more shifts in this and, you know, it wasn't just one family that that told us about this. It, it was multiple families. So I think for me, um, you know, that that particular issue, and again, linked to what Catherine said about advocacy, the amount of advocacy that families are having to do, um, you know, is something that we really need to be thinking about, um, you know, not only as outcomes from this study, but certainly what what has to happen in you know education for for schools to for parents to be able to go i want my child in my local school i want them to have access to local friends and local community and um you know we we know there are a number of things and we'll probably talk about some of those things that are needed later in the podcast but that was that was one of the surprises for me so i might hand over to catherine and see if there was anything particular she found surprising there were a couple of things that surprised me and also felt a little sad to me in in um in what we came out in our findings one was that people felt that they often had to choose a specialist setting for secondary school but in doing that they felt that they were um they were making the choice to make academic outcomes less important that they were making that choice with the knowledge that there's their kids wouldn't necessarily have the same opportunity to access curriculum and to have the choices of what they studied and what they learned and what they would become um, when they when they were forced to make those decisions. Um, and a lot of the time, that was a really frustrating point. Uh, we found, I think, that um, that people were tired of advocating and we have to kind of note that we're doing this kind of out of the pandemic and everybody's tired so there is a little bit of, of that to consider but people were often making pragmatic decisions based on their larger families that they also had other kids that they that they were making decisions for and getting people to many different schools getting people to particular schools and the needs of having kids all at one school were also things that were really contextual from family to family the other thing that uh, that i think was really important and that as a you know as a school teacher and as a school leader I hadn't really kind of registered was as important as it is, is how isolating it can be as a parent when your child is not included in social activities and how important it is to make those social connections for parents as well and link them to the community and activities that matter. Where we spoke to parents whose kids were involved in sport or other activities like acting um, or singing or things that were they were passionate about, they had a, a group of friends in their community as well that made a difference to how they were feeling. And that's a really important thing for us to think about when we think about our broader school community and, and what makes things work for everybody. Thank you, both Lisa and Catherine, for those findings. It, it is really interesting to hear. And I'm sure um, the parents, I'm thinking, would have really loved that opportunity. I mean, you know, I guess it's a bit sad sometimes reliving some of the experiences, but um, enjoyed having sort of compassionate people to 
to talk to and listen to their very real experiences and um, feelings. So thank you for sharing that. What kind of education do you think children with Down syndrome need? Well, I I guess they need the the best education that they can get, just like, you know, all, all young people have a right to access education, to access the education um, that they want and to help them reach the goals that they have for themselves um, once they leave, you know, school. Um, so, you know, I think we, we all strongly advocate for inclusive education. We believe that um, young people with Down syndrome should be in the school setting that, that best suits them, particularly though the regular or mainstream setting. Um, and I think that you know, we really need to ensure that the education is matching the needs of the young person. So really having schools getting to know the young person and what the young person's goals and needs are. And, you know, having teachers with the skills to um, create curriculum and teaching and learning and social opportunities um, for to meet the needs of, of all young people, but of course the, the young people with Down syndrome, because this is what this report is about. And I certainly think, you know, young people, um, the young adults in the study, our focus group people, were certainly talking about wanting to have um, education that is safe. So they wanted to be in safe spaces. So not only safe with their friends, but also safe with the adults that they were in that were in the school setting. And I think also we need teachers who understand what is Down syndrome, knowing that it's different for, for each young person anyway. But, you know, what are the particular, are there communication um, supports that are needed? Are there social supports that are needed? Are there particular learning supports that are needed? And we need to be able to assess this and we need to be able to plan for this and we need to, as teachers, be able to deliver this as well. So um, I think, you know, children with Down syndrome need the education that they need, um, but that will look different for, for different, different young people. Yeah, I really agree with everything you said, Lisa. And one of the things that really occurred to me as we were writing the recommendations, you know, at the end of the report, was how um, how everybody in our kind of research had an individual education plan, um, but that the processes around that work were so different from school to school and place to place. And even though a lot of those goals had been written um, for the students, there was a real lack of understanding and engagement and agency for young people in the building of those education plans. And I think, you know, having the opportunity to talk to primary school, secondary school, and then school leavers was really important for me to kind of see how at different developmental stages, the young people had different developmental agency where they could actually kind of have a more active role in the development of those plans alongside their parents. And what a great opportunity it would be to use the moments of developing those plans to help those young people build the skills that they need to start making those decisions for themselves. And when we think about 
you know, the um, the outcomes of the NDIS and the Royal Commission findings. I think there's something really important to consider in the process of helping young people identify their needs and how those needs should be met. And having their parents part of that conversation as they grow is a really important step in helping them to develop the agency they need going forward to advocate for themselves in the workplace and other um, parts of their lives. Absolutely. That is really important. And it's, again, probably a little bit disheartening that it's not happening as as much as we would like to hear that it is happening. Good. Uh, it could, and you know, as you said, young people, um, you know, should be making those sort of. They're at a point in their lives in high school, and probably sometimes in primary school, they could be making those decisions and agency in their own goal setting and what they would like to be doing. So that is a good segue onto your recommendations resulting from the research. Look, we had four recommendations um, that came out of the the findings and our links with the literature that informed the study. And in our kind of discussions also with with Down Syndrome Victoria and the young people, we had an opportunity to work with and their families. And one of the main kind of recommendations is no surprise to anybody. You know, we need to improve the supports for inclusive education and social inclusion in our schools. Um, and I think it's really important that we recognize that so many people had really positive relationships with their teacher assistants and their teachers, um, but that most people kind of identified that You know, there were also issues around how those relationships worked in allowing them to be a part of the class. So I think it's so important that we think about how we train our teacher assistants and our teachers at different developmental levels for young people to help them be a part of the class um, and interact in the same way as other students. So they're not always doing different work or, or sitting and doing something different. Um, because that inclusive element to um, being in the class and doing the collaborative learning and and being involved in the discussions is a really key element to to being a part of a school community and and learning who you are as a person um, and thinking about who you want to become as an adult. Um, so, you know, we, we saw that there were lots of opportunities to do better teacher training, to do better, you know, training for teacher assistants, uh, but also to work with school leaders because there's only so much time in the life of those people. And if they don't have the proper opportunities to plan with young people and their families to have those meetings that are important around developing individual education plans and to plan ways to make universal education accessible for all of their students, then it becomes really difficult for them to do that job. And so it's a systemic issue that really involves people making sure that everybody has the time and the resources to do the work that they need to do to make school accessible for the young people and their families in this study. Um, Communication is a real tricky thing. And teachers' days are long. They start long. They, you know, they start early. They usually are in meetings till late. 
So that communication element of talking to families and, and being there to kind of find out the needs that are existing um, is something we need to consider in the work that we do and the way that people work um, with families in a way that can kind of maintain everybody's well-being um, and yet feel like they're in partnership around young people with Down syndrome's learning. Um, we need to think about you know, how we step back a bit and let young people find their place in their in their community. Not everybody is the same. And there were real differences, you know, that are important to recognize in um, in the interests and skills and uh, ways that people want to be in the world um, that uh, that can only come from having really strong educational relationships. So that time needs to be there, too. Um, we need to build workforce capacity to provide the adjustments and differentiated learning that, you know, makes successful education in the classroom. And that's a lot of work, having the opportunity to understand how we can do the work of making the curriculum accessible at a really interesting and, you know, interactive level, while still making it possible for young people to show their learning and demonstrate how they are engaged in developing their own understanding of that work is something that really needs better attention in training teachers, both as they come out of university and their teacher training program, but also throughout their careers as those things kind of develop and our understanding of different people and their needs develop. And also the funding, the funding, you know, that young people have to help them in education often can be a determinant of what kind of support they get, but also it can indicate to people who those people are. And we need to step away from just having labels on people and, and thinking a little bit more at the individual level. Removing those barriers from schools and school choice was really important. And that was a big part of this report. Um, there are um, a lot of ways in which parents feel they are stymied in their efforts to get their young people involved in schools and accessing schools. Really troubling ways around communication and people not calling them back. Different understandings of what a reasonable adjustment is. And so people kind of what we call gatekeeping um, and keeping people out saying that, you know, they would be better off in different settings without a lot of opportunity for parents to um, to move ahead with the decisions that they think are best for their child and their family. And we really need to look at in this age where we have much better communication systems than we ever have before, using those to keep a track of whose, whose choices are not being heard and addressing some of the inequities that we're seeing um, in people's experiences. We think that there's lots of opportunities to create better communication between young people and their peers that involve thinking a bit about the technologies that are out there and the ways that we can assist whole school approaches to um, enabling those social relationships. Communication is a really tricky thing, um, and we teach it in every interaction that we have. And the more that our interactions with everybody at their different communication levels of development are enhanced by the tools that we have and made available not just to teachers, but also from peer to peer, the more we'll see some of the outcomes for social inclusion that our young people and families are asking for come into reality. And finally, 
I've mentioned a bit about, you know, improving homeschool communication. We also need to think about how we do that at a developmentally appropriate level. And this isn't something we know very well about anyway in secondary schools. There's very different approaches to parent involvement in secondary school across the world at different levels, you know. But we need to think about how we can make that easier while still taking care of everybody's ability to speak for their needs um, and draw the boundaries around their lives and education and the broader experience and aspirations of young people. Wow. <laughs> so many fantastic recommendations there, Catherine. Amazing. You know, it's just it's going to be such a terrific resource for educators or a lot of different people, researchers, and the things that I was, there were so many to pick up on, but I guess I love the idea of developing that peer-to-peer -peer communications. That's something that really stuck out for me. We've been also wanting to see more teacher training at universities, but then that ongoing teacher training too is really important for teachers in schools. They're in the position and they're, and they're wanting some training and the same for teacher assistants. So so much there. It's um, going to be a terrific read for everyone. One of the sure. great things, bro, that being involved with um, this sort of research as teacher educators is that we have these, you know, these experiences of working with families to bring into our own teaching with teachers in teacher education programs. And the more partnerships that happen between agencies like Down Syndrome Victoria and, you know, researchers and education faculties who are also teaching tomorrow's teachers is a really important part of making those connections happen in real time. Absolutely. We're already loving our connection with uh, Melbourne University. So, and with lots of spin-offs from that that we can see. So it's terrific. So I guess the last question is what comes next? Are you looking at any further research in the area? Uh, look, we would love to do more research in this area. I mean, this was a small scale study. As we said, we had 10 families and four young adults and um, we are really interested. We would be really interested in seeing nationally um, across Australia if other states and territories or parents um, in other states and territories are having similar experiences. So I think for us, one thing we would love to have the opportunity to do is to scale this up and to try and connect perhaps with other uh, Down syndrome organisations across Australia and see if we can build, build some more research. We did, um, we are interested too in the early childhood space because we're really conscious that um, education is from birth you know, it's lifelong and parents of children in, you know, kinder or other um, early childhood settings are making decisions too about education for their child or with their child. So um, we've had the opportunity to speak to one um, parent uh, for, with a young, with a child um, in an early childhood setting, but I think that we would like to have an opportunity to do a little bit more of that as well. Um, we certainly hope to present this work at um, conferences and we certainly will be publishing um, some papers on this as well because we feel that this is really um, important work for the peers that we work with too in academia and in teacher education that they get to hear this as well. So we've got the report, but, you know, we want to we take it, it further as well and get um, 
get this information out there as much as, as possible. And of course, you know, any ways that we can, I guess, um, contribute to, to policy thinking um, is also certainly of interest to, to our team. You know, doing podcasts and reaching out to the families who've been so generous with their time to, to do this research with us and hearing from them about how they think this research would be best translated for broader audiences so that we can help it make a difference and answer any more questions that arise from their engagement with this podcast and the report as well. Um, there are always great opportunities and we call it translating research, you know, into these sorts of conversations so that we can make sure that what we're doing and researching is really meaningful and making a difference for the people who have helped us kind of come to the conclusions that we have. Well, thank you. It's going to be a great opportunity for our organisation to have your research read as widely as possible. So it would certainly be helpful for us. So, Kat, do you have any other questions you wanted to um, ask? I just got one last question. Is there anything else you would like our listeners to know and where can they find more information if they're interested in your research? Thank you for the question, Kath. I think... We probably covered covered most things, but I think I just would like to reiterate um, something that Catherine just said, and that is, you know, our sincere thanks to the families, the young people and the young adults who took part in this um, uh, research because they were difficult things to talk about for some families or for all families. There were certainly, you know, questions that we asked that might have taken you know people a little bit out of their comfort zones and and we certainly appreciate the honesty and the the openness um, with which um, the parents and young people and, and young adults engage with us we we hope that what we have here really does represent their experiences so as Catherine said it'd be great for them to to it'd be great to hear a little bit about that if it has so I think that, um, yeah, we have enjoyed the partnership. We have enjoyed doing this work and uh, hoping that, yeah, we can extend it further. I think you did a great job of answering that question, Lise. Kath, I wondered if, if you had any thoughts about things we could do to make education better in, you know, thinking about some of the things that we've said here today. Do you have any any thoughts on what we've said? Did it make sense to you in terms of your experience at school? I had a lot of experience at school, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lots of different experiences and lots of um, work placements as well. So that was very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a really important part of being at school and having those opportunities to do all the different things that help us figure out what we want to do with our lives and, and have a meaningful life all the way through well past school and into our adulthood. So we really do appreciate all the work that everybody did to help us. You're so welcome. And we really have loved the partnership with you guys. Really, it's been terrific. I've learned a lot over this, this time too, which has been great. But thank you so much for giving up your time today to speak with us, Lisa and Catherine. 
It's a terrific report, which we are very much looking forward to sharing within our own community, but of course with a, a much wider audience as well. Um, and we'll provide a link to the report and any other relevant information in the show notes. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. For more information about Down Syndrome Victoria, visit downsyndrome.org.au slash vic.